0: Thank you very much for the nice introductions, and uh, I'd like to thank the, uh, the Society of Ibn Arabi for their generous invitations. Uh, um, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here and to be able to share my thought with you. Um, I'm most impressed by the dedications of the, of the societies to the uh, 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 promotions of the uh, spiritual wisdom um, of the Sheikh um, Ibn Arabi. Just a a few comments about the the background to to my uh, talk today on self-knowledge and self-consciousness in Islamic uh, philosophy and mysticism. Um, uh, It actually uh, came um, through my um, recent research, uh, not on Ibn Arabi, because I've actually uh, stopped researching on him for a while, uh, working on another figure of his school, is um, a Damascene figure uh, called Abdul um, Ghani al-Nabulsi he uh, He's a 17th, 18th century figure who, who actually in the end lived just next to him and his tomb just about 500 metres from uh, where Ibn Arabi's tomb lies in Damascus. And he was a great uh, reviver and, and uh, promoter of, uh, of, and great defender of him. Um, I was looking um, at his work um, particularly in the context of Islam and the Enlightenment um, which is the uh, subject of my forthcoming book. Uh, that should appear in March next year I was looking at what was going on um, uh, at the intellectual level in the the Islamic world um, uh, during the time of the scientific revolution and the enlightenment in Europe which is 17th, 18th century and I was uh, particularly searching for um, thinking about the the notion of human reality and particularly with reference to the uh, the work of René um, Descartes who, um, who since uh, since then actually transformed our thinking about uh, uh, about what man is and how we think about uh, uh, the relation between the self and the body and the actual the, the subject and the object. Um, um, his meditations on the on the self, which I started with the questions about. Uh, um, uh, what the eye is, and whether it's referred to the human body or whether it's referred to sort of abstract reality, uh, lent, uh, ended up in, in uh, him sort of distinguishing sharply between the, uh, um, the the thinking self and the the inanimate object uh, uh, and. Uh, and he, he eventually, which it became really quite dominant in, uh, in our modern thinking, is that uh, the reduction of a human being into uh, a conscious, a, a thinking conscious being, this is what we are. I think, therefore, I exist. So thinking became the, um, the most distinct, uh, distinguished quality um, um, of, uh, of the humans. Um. So um, when I was starting was start to look at what uh, Nabulsi was talking about uh, at the same time, because he was contemporary with Descartes, um, uh, it started to actually open up a whole new area of comparison between what the European was thinking and what, what the Muslims were thinking about at the time. That took me back all the way in a kind of a regressive movement, all the way back to a, um, a, 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 a kind of a, a line of thinkers who actually shared and debated these things for about 600 years. Um, most of the material actually is still unpublished. So, um, so I started to actually look at how the ideas developed in the Islamic thinking and uh, this is what this lecture is all about. It's actually the first cut. It's a quite rough. It's the first cut of, of, of actually thinking over 600 years uh, um, on this topic and I will be sort of, uh, presenting you with some of the uh, uh, main questions that have been raised and some of the key terms and concepts, and um, we'll show you where Ibn Arabi stands in relation um, uh, in relation to this. Um, so, um, so it is going to I'm going to take you on a, um, a sort of a journey of self-discovery, um, um, and uh, um, and I will start um, with um, with a particular. Um, Work, a very interesting work by uh, a philosopher called Ibn Tufayl Ibn Tufayl was a contemporary of Ibn Arabi a bit older than Ibn Arabi, also from Andalusia and he wrote a, a fascinating book called Hayy ibn Yaqzan um, the topic was not new Ibn Sina wrote about the same things uh, um, uh, centuries before uh, but here actually it was quite different uh, um, um, A treatise that he wrote uh, um, the, um, Hayy ibn Yaqzan is a um, is a story, it's, it's, it's a kind of a narrative, it's put in a narrative, but it's actually meant to illustrate the birth of philosophical thinking and the course, the intuitive course of philosophical thinking. How would you start thinking about yourself and about the, uh, um, um, what the nature of a human being is? Now, the, the story starts like uh, this way Hey is the name of the central character of the of the narrative and hay is a little little child a baby boy who was abandoned on a remote island and he was raised by an antelope um, uh, who lost her baby so it was basically his mother so the, the, um, he, um, he lived on the island um, uh, together with the animals and he was, uh, apart from sort of a brief moment of self-reflection he actually just lived the life of the, um, of the animals and, and he, he adapted to their way of, of dealing with things and he was, uh, um, uh, he was really adapted to the whole environment um, and... Uh, um, there was a. He was still young. He was not in his teens when he, when his, uh, um, the antelope, his mother died. He was, he was, he had a great passion for his mother, and uh, he, uh, um, um, he suddenly discovered, and this is where the, the whole concept of the crisis of the body starts. He suddenly uh, realized when he was very young that here is the body, completely intact, but yet. It's dysfunctional. It's not. It's, it's not responding to his call. He's trying to uh, to get it to act the way it used to act. It was not an acting, but it's still the whole. The whole body is still there. So um, he we started to think about what is it that actually made uh, suddenly that the, the body became dysfunctional. Um, he was. He was. Um, he was curious. He, he was sad. He was bewildered. He wanted to know what went wrong. So he started to dissect the body. He started to dissect it to, and analyze the, the functions of the various organs. Uh, intuitively, according to Amin he, um, he thought that there must be a central organ that uh, upon uh, uh, its proper functioning depends the function of the entire body. So he started to search for that central organ, and he was delighted to find the heart. Uh, now he found the heart, but... Uh, um, Uh, And he thought if he could actually fix the heart, the whole body will will function again. But he was quite disappointed because he couldn't get the the heart to function again. So he started to actually cut the heart and he was intrigued by the hollow chambers that there were in in the heart. And he was wondering why there were hollow chambers in the heart. There must be, he thought that there must be something in there that has deserted the body. Um, So so something that was there and had left... And that is why the um, the body is no longer functioning. So he started. Um, uh, so he started. He started thinking. He, he was he was wondering about that thing. Um, um, he didn't know what that thing was. Uh, so he was wondering about what was it? Um, uh, how did it work? Um, what attached it to the body? Uh, where did it go? Uh, from which of the body's gate did it escape? Um, what disturbed it? If it had parted the body unwillingly. Um, What made it despise the body if it had parted willingly? So that's where his his, uh, basic thing started. Then that's a quote from the text. His thoughts were dispersed by all of these questions. He was distracted from thinking about the body and uh, and left it aside. He realized that his mother, who compassionately cared and breastfed him, was that thing that had left was that thing that was responsible for all her actions and not the dysfunctional body. He also realized that the entire body is an instrument for that thing, just like the stick he had used to fight off the wild animal. He thus shifted his attachment away from the body to the owner and mover of the body. He had since longed for nothing else except that thing, so there is that sort of the beginning of, of thinking about something quite abstract. It's not it's not embodied. He, um, uh, Ebenezer sort of continued to, um, 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 sort of discuss how he moved on from um, from that particular, um, from that particular um, experience. At, at that time, Hay was was still not in his teens, so he actually Ebenezer file take you through several. Uh, stages of like different uh, time of the uh, of his growing up and uh, his his the way the thinking developed. Anyway, now the the whole con- the, the conference knowing yourself is really kind of a testimony that uh, that that whole question about uh, self discovery is, is still relevant to us today. Um, about a millennium after uh, um, um, journey, um um text, the journey has has been one with kind of elusive destinations. There wasn't, no one uh, w- was able to sort of put their fingers on what we are looking for. Um, we're still li- looking for that, uh, the, the answer or the destinations of the, uh, of the self-discovery. Now, the questions, the question that, that directed thinking in philosophy, theology and mysticism is not really different from uh, what Descartes several years later has, uh, has encountered. Had encountered. So the, the main question starts with the whole notion of the I. You say, um, uh, what does one refer to when saying I in everyday speech? Like when you say, I, I ate, I slept, I went, I came, I did. I, there is that constant I that you, you actually use. The question was, um, does this refer to the living human body or to something else? Um, and if, it, if, uh, if to something else, what is that thing? Now, the, the, that was the beginning of that question, the beginning of uh, trying to um, um, to think about that abstract, w- whether it is abstract reality that lies beyond beyond the body. Now, starting from those sets of questions, there were other sets of questions that were raised. Um, for example, to do with, with know yourself, how does one know oneself? Um, can one know oneself through self-directed search? If we if we reflect on on uh, um, uh, high experience, he 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 was self-directed. He wanted to know what the self is. He wanted so that he went about analyzing the body and wanting to know um, um, the relationship between that abstract thing that moves and controls the body. And so there's a self-directed um, um, experience. Is the act of knowing oneself a deliberate course of inquiry? It is like us coming here and trying to reflect on it. That's a kind of a a, a self-directed inquiry. Um, uh, A self-conscious act of exploring, interrogating, and meditating on the self. This is exactly what actually Descartes used to shut himself up in a uh, stove-heated rooms and used to contemplate and and meditate about the self. And that's why his whole idea came as a a result of that self-conscious act of thinking about the self. Um, does one have to intentionally set out to know oneself to be aware of what one is discovering and knowing? In other words, if you want to know your, uh, yourself or want to know oneself, do they have to think, to have to be conscious that they are thinking about oneself in order to arrive at something? Or let's say if one decided to go and have fun at the beach, would, would they be knowing themselves because they're doing completely something different? Um, this is quite a crucial question. Um, it leads to, um, uh, to uh, um, questions of uh, if self-knowledge um, predicated on consciousness in other words if you want to know yourself you have to be self-conscious about what you are thinking about uh, or can you actually know without being self-conscious um, those are not rhetorical questions they've actually been being thoroughly um, examined by uh, various thinkers. Can self-knowledge and self-consciousness be two different things? Um, uh, in, the, in, ibn, 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 in in hey, ibn Yahzan's story, it was the same. It was predicated. Self-knowledge was predicated on self-consciousness. But could actually self-knowledge be uh, different from, uh, from self-consciousness? In other words, can you actually know something about yourself without being thinking about yourself? Um, um, in... In, in Descartes' term, you can't because you have to. You are a conscious being all the time. Um, uh, what is the role of thinking uh, in the act of knowing oneself? Um, that's that's the core of all those um, um, questions. And um, can one know one th- oneself without thinking about the self? And can one know without deliberate thinking at all? Um, would you be able to know without thinking? Um, this is a very, very critical question. Now, let's move on to another set of questions. One, we start looking about the self, relate the self to uh, a supernatural being, uh, in the, uh, as in this uh, very common statement used by the mystic, Who, whosoever knows himself knows his Lord. So here there is a relationship between the self and the Lord. Now, this raises other complex sets of questions that's also been um, um, discussed and debated. Is the relationship between the self and the Lord one of essential similarity that allows one to be known in terms of the other? Or um, uh, is it one of essential difference that allows one to be known through what the other is not? Or is it both? Now, whatever it is, um, there is a quite an interesting, um, an interesting thing uh, in the in the mystical experience or mystical thought, um, whatever it is. Why do Sufis seek the denial, uh, self denial and self annihilation uh, self effacement in their mystical quest? Now, if if the whole idea is to know your Lord and you have to know yourself in order to know your Lord, why would you deny yourself? Um, If the self is both the instrument and object of knowing, why negate it and seek its annihilations? Um, Now, this is where it gets really critical. Um, When the self is annihilated, what would then be the instrument of knowing? If there is no self to know, what what would you be knowing with? Um, When there is no self left, would there still be a place for consciousness? Would consciousness dispersed with the, with the annihilations of the self? And the critical question is, when the self goes, what is it that remains of the human reality? Now, those actually questions lie at the heart of, of, the, uh, um, of the debates that, uh, um, that many um, philosophers, mystics and theologians contributed to. Um, and And I will I will I will uh, refer to um, a line of thinking that developed um, through the works of three um, sort of circles of uh, of thinkers. The first circle is the is the, the those who were contemporary with Ibn Arabi, uh, Ibn Tufail, Shihab al-Din al-Suhrawardi, who's the founder of the uh, um, Illumination School, or Shaykh al al-Ashraq, Fakhr al-Din al-Razi and Ibn Arabi. Now, Ibn Arabi, um, 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 I think, met... Well, there's a sto- there are stories that he met at Suhrawardis and they met and sat for hours and didn't say anything. And then they were asked each of them about what they think of each other. Um, and he actually, he definitely wrote to, um, uh, to Fakhreddin al-Razi, wrote a very interesting letter, which I will refer to in my seminar, um, so there was a correspondence between uh, Ibn Arabi and both Shihab din suhrawardi and uh, and din al-Razi. Shihab din suhrawardi actually was, uh, was executed, by the way, on the order of uh, the legendary uh, um, uh, leader, Salah din actually ordered his execution. Um, then that, that they're all uh, around the, um, uh, the 12th, 13th centuries. And uh, then the other circles is um, Jalal ad-Din al-Dawani and uh, Kemal Pasha Sade, or Ibn Kemal Basha, as is known in Arabic. They are around the 15th, 16th century. Um, those also uh, reflected on the work, uh, particularly there was, a, there was a, uh, an important work by As-Suhrawardi, who, uh, who, who was um, later on being sort of expand, um, um, commented on by Ad-Dawani, and Kemal Pasha Sade uh, responded to that. And the last circle is Sadr Shirazi, and Abdel Ghani al Now, the one in blue, the, the thought, when you go to the fine grains, the thought of those actually do not, you can't, they're not clear-cut. You can't say those are philosophers, those are theologians, those are mystics, and each one of those actually has a particular stamp. The, 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 uh, in, the, in the fine grain of things, you will find that actually they are very interwoven, and they're not clear-cut. Some of the Sufis, actually sided with the philosophers uh, some of the theologians sided with the Sufis so they, they it was well, quite actually um, a mixed mix show but generally speaking you can, there are those who argued for the, for the disembodiment of the self uh, saying that the self is a reality that is beyond the body and they argued for the endurance of self-consciousness um, saying that you are always conscious of yourself and they they um, um, and on, on uh, and, and those are different from the one who actually argued for the embodiment of the self and the non-endurance of self-consciousness. So the one in blue, Ibn Arabi and Pasha Tari was not a Sufi. He was a Sheikh Islam of his time. He was a very prominent author. He's got about 200 works. Most of them, by the way, are unpublished. And Abdel Ghani Nabulsi's got 300 works. Most of them unpublished. They they shared they shared a particular position on the disembodiment of the self. Whereas the rest, including a um, um, and including a Shirazi who had mystical inclinations, they argued for the, dis, for the uh, uh, disembodiment of the self. So let's start with the, um, the, the self-embodied duality. And uh, before I start, I want to just run through um, some important uh, terms and concepts because um, they are crucial to the constructions of the of the arguments and the uh, the discourse. First, uh, the word soul or the w- w- word um, self in Arabic is the is the word nafs. Uh, this is the general term used as self soul and psyche, and uh, um, and it's it's been widely widely used. The, 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 the problem with that is that there is no. Um, um, there is uh, not a clear, uh, in, the, in the text, normally you don't find a clear distinction between, for example, the, uh, uh, the soul and the self or the, the subjectivity and selfhood. There, there's always, there is always um, um, a, a, a sort of a mixed references under the term. Now, a term came from the word nafasa, which means to breathe. And, uh, and nafs is, uh, uh, nafas is the breath. So that's where it came from. And that's the relationship between the notion of breath and the notion of the of the um, of the soul and the self. And um, there are a couple of terms that are quite common in uh, in mystical literature, like anfath al ilahi, the divine breath, and nafas al rahman, the breath of the compassion. They're they're very actually critical and, and uh, uh, core to the thinking of Ibn Arabi. Um, th- the interesting thing uh, about this term and its relation to the Hay Ibn Yaqzan story is that Ibn Tufal said at one stage because he. He um, had that thought that uh, there is that thing that exists in the heart that uh, that escaped when the, when when the uh, when the animal was dead. He decided to see whether if he dissected the living animal, he got to the heart of a living animal and got to the chamber before the uh, before that thing escaped, and whether he would find something there. So he. he he dissected a living animal, and he got to the heart. He opened he opened the left chamber, and he found there, according to the uh, he found um, um, hot vapor uh, in the in the form of white cloud. He stuck his finger in, and it was so hot it almost burned him. So he realized that there is something in there which is that kind of the hot breath, which is, that, that that's the relation between the breath and the, and the soul. That what kept. the the animal alive and at that moment the the animal instantly died so he realized that it is that he started to get closer to what that thing is it was that that hot vapor anyway the other term um, that is also used for the self is the concept of the uh, the word that Uh, that actually referred to the self ego psyche and subject it's a uh, it has a different. It, it overlaps with with the nafs in a certain way, but it's also different in uh, uh, in other in other way. And Alzat refers to the essence or reality of things. That is that is the most that's the most common uh, term that used to, to, to the self to the ego. That's, that is quite distinct from the soul. That kind of naturally exists in the body. According to Ibn Ibn uh, Ibn Tufail, Hay did not reflect on his self. Rather than his soul, the one that he actually tried to find in the heart, until he was 35 years old, uh, and at that time he's already reflected in a whole range of natural phenomena and, and the, the cosmos, and then he started to coming to term with the with the idea of the that as opposed to the um, to the soul. Um, the, the word used in a number of ways. There are common terms like al-dhat um, uh, al the divine essence, and al refer to the human essence. So that refers to the to the reality, the human reality and the uh, um, divine reality. Um, but when it comes to subject and object, um, it, it 's a different term that it used in, in literature, particularly modern literature rather medieval literature it 's the that and moldur That's the sub, that 's the Cartesian subject and object Now moldur is a completely different thing. It is not really to do with the body the way that the subject and object actually works in the Cartesian um, polarity now we 've got also the ego, which also uh, Descartes has spoken uh, about, uh, and it is an um, Anna in Arabic. Um, So it is different from al-zat and the self. It's ana, it means I, um, it's the ego and the self. And the uh, aniya in mystical term uh, refer to the reality of a human selfhood and ananiya in common usage refer to selfishness. Uh, So those are also words used in the... uh, in the discourse, the Anna and who are the post pronouns in Arabic refer to the I versus he, to the, to the human versus uh, humanity versus divinity. Um, now, when we, look at, at, uh, when we look at all those terms term that refer to the self, we have to consider also what, what term that used to, uh, to describe the body because it's quite important to actually see the relationship between the two. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complex than the, than the uh, sort of English because there were several terms that were used for body. So, it was jism, jasad, badan, and heikan. Um Those are the most common. Jism is the most... Um, uh, is the body in the Aristotelian sense, like when you refer to um, uh, the body being three-dimensional body, uh, the most common term is jism. Uh, uh, whereas uh, whereas in actually in English you have that one term that actually cover a wide range of usages. In Arabic it's quite different and there was a c- kind of conscious distinction between the body in general and the human body in particular. So when you use the word jasad, for example, jesad is quite different to jesad. That is, started to become more peculiar about the human, the human body, not bodies in, in, in general. And... Um, and it's actually a very complicated term because it refers to, for example, uh, um, creatures like angels and jinns and, and, and others, which is mainly the word jesed that, that, uh, that is used for. And then you get a very specific term, which is, this is widely used uh, by all thinkers of the time, is the badan, which is it's still used now, uh, called badan. Badan, the curious things about this term, is it actually refers to the, to the human body without the head. Okay, so it is without the thinking organ, so it is the body without the mind, I think this is very important, so that's the use of the uh, um, of the badan, and then the most interesting one is actually the word heikel, um, heikel is the one, uh, it's, it means a structure or a skeleton or um, um, uh, a temple or buildings, uh, um, and it is particularly used by As-Suhrawardi and used by Ibn Arabi quite a lot. But actually, it is it is As-Suhrawardi who actually put it in a in a complete philosophical um, philosophical mystical context where he start, when he wrote his book the um, um, Haykal al Nur, the structures of light or temples of light. Now that was a quite important, um, a quite an important text. Um, Haykal, the, the the main Utility of that term, or the importance of that that term, is that once you start thinking about various components of the human structure uh, or the human reality in terms of hayakil or heka rather than body, you've actually went beyond the polarity of the body and the self. You start talking about nature of structure. So the self could be a heka in the same way that the body could be a heka. Now uh, in uh, in in um, in Suhrawardi's work, the, the, what, he, what he tried to, to argue is that, that all those various components of the human, bo- uh, the human being is actually all several levels of structures. They are infused with different degrees of light. Uh, so the uh, so you can you can understand the human reality in terms of lum- luminosity and uh, um, and um, uh, solidity or opaqueness and transparencies depending on how much light is infused in each in each uh, aspect. Of it. So the human body is a hekel and the human soul is a haikal, but one has more light than the other. That's why one more opaque, one more transparent. Um, so uh, the first the first group who actually um, uh, looked at the notion of self-knowledge and self-consciousness, uh, the main important um, um, element in their debate is that they equate itself to consciousness, exactly in the same way that Descartes, several hundred years later, has actually a- equated itself with consciousness. Um, As to in structures of light, um, he, he wrote, you cannot be unaware of yourself, never, but you can be aware, unaware of each and every part of your body, Sometimes, so if you were the whole of these uh, body parts, your consciousness of yourself would not endure at moments of unawareness of your body. So you are beyond this body and its parts. So he he tried to use the whole idea of consciousness because your 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 consciousness persists and endure, whereas your body changes all the time, um, and your the, the, the sort of the indivisibility of the self and, and the divisibility of the of the body, um, he tried to argue about the, the, the distinction between uh, between the two. Uh, that was that was critical, and that was actually um, the same argument that Descartes had used in his uh, uh, in his meditation. Um, Now, As-Suhrawardi um, had had difficulty because he actually used the the, the term Heqa. Uh, if, if the body and the soul are both uh, heikels, heakel then they lose actually substantial difference, differences between them because at one level they are the same, but at, at, an, at another level they are different. He argued for the, for the abstractions of the self. So in order to actually overcome these uh, philosophical issues, he, he argued or di- di- distinguished between the um, accidental light and essential light. So he argued that the bodies. Although they have light, but the the lights uh, 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 for the bodies are accidental. It's by by light they become manifest, whereas the soul uh, have light by its very nature. So they are self-standing light, and that's why they, they are enduring. Um, uh, So that's that's the way he distinguished between uh, between the two. So all bodies share in bodiness and vary in illumination. Yet light is accidental to the bodies and their illumination is the cause of their manifestation. And since accidental light can only stand in other entities, its existence is not by itself and it is not self-manifest for if it can stand by itself, it would have been light for itself. Now, this is not admitted of the body, but our rational selves are manifest by themselves, so they are self-standing light. So that's how he sort of distinguished between the two. But both of them are not in the polarity of the body and the self. He's talking about them as uh, different structures of light. Now, Really, the text, uh, uh, Suhrawadi's text, I mean, when you look at it, it's a kind of a, um, a mystical text with philosophical inclinations. It is not, it is not really uh, philosophically rigorous in, in its debates. It's a small text, a short text. Um, whereas um, al razi who was c- contemporary with Suhrawadi, was very, um, um, very sophisticated and was a very, very formidable thinker who actually went on and on. He had numerous books and, and uh, uh, went arguing about uh, all the different... Uh, putting all the various um, arguments for the abstractions of the self. Um, now, in, in one particular work, which... He shifted, by the way, his ground in different texts um, uh, somewhat, but in, in the work that he devoted to the soul and the spirit, he said, no, that, that which one refers to when saying I came... I am going, I heard, I understood, I did, is something other than this visible and sensible structure as proved by reason and tradition. And he goes on um, putting all uh, the, the ground of his argument. But the most intriguing analogy he puts is this one here. It's in the, uh, in the Oriental Reflections, which is one of his uh, most celebrated texts. Uh, it's a two-big volume. He goes, if one of us imagine himself, he, he now referring to the word zat, not the soul, he's referring to that if one imagine, imagines himself um, as though he's promptly created, complete in form but his senses are veiled from seeing the external things that he is falling in an empty space uh, without air resistance and without feeling any of the external qualities that is what he meant is that there's nothing that engages the senses um, and that this, uh, and that his organs are dispersed without any joint or connections between them. In this case, he would be aware of his self, but unaware of all of his organs, um, both the outward and the inward. His self would be affirmed, but without affirming its having length, breadth, and depth. And if one imagine that in this state, a hand or any other organ... Uh, One imagines a hand or any other organ, one would neither imagine that it is being a part of his self, nor a condition of its existence. It is clear then that what is being felt is other is uh, other than what is being conceived of. Therefore, one's identity is other than all of his organs. Now, this is really very, um, a very confused text, and I'm not going to go through all the philosophical problems with it, um, uh, but basically he's, what he's saying is that you can actually you can think of yourself without actually um, having to think of your body. Uh, but he, he comes up with this um, very convoluted um, analogy. Um, now, the problem with... Uh, uh, once you, once you have that distinction between the self and the body, then you would have to find a relationship that ties them together because the self and the body exist together. So what is it that, when they are incompatible, when one is completely abstract, the other one is completely material, what is it that brings the two together? Now, uh, for al-Razi, um, most of the, one of the recurrent, is an instrumental argument, which uh, which looks at the body, as we saw in Hay ben as an instrument that the soul uses or the self uses, uh, which he compared it to the, to the stick that he used to fight off the animal. And Ar-Razi also uses a similar instrumental argument. But then he goes on beyond that to introduce an irrational relationship between the self and the body. And uh, he brings the idea of love. And, and passionate love. Um, he says that it appears that the self loves this human body. He refers to the bedan here, uh, not jism. Um, he loves the human body and hates leaving it. It never feels bored with it despite their companionship. And since... Um, and since... The, uh, the other two types of relationship are invalid. Here he refers to two types of relationship. The accident, the, the relation of the accidents or the, the accidental quality to substance like for example the color uh, in the substance of materials or whatever they appear in which they could not, they could not stand on its own without the substance. Um, that he said it's invalid simply because if you can actually argue that the self and the body are relation to accidents and substance then you could um, once the body or once the, the substance disappears then the body disappears and this actually does not work with the, with the Islamic dogma of the or resurrection uh, the other one is the bodies and the, the relationship of the body to their places like if you if the body occupies a particular place and then could actually move to other place, like the body move from one place to another, um, that's one other uh, uh, analogy. This also doesn't work because it means that if the body can move from one place to another, then you can, you can, uh, the, you, there is a ground for reincarnations there, and this does not apply. So he said, it is evident that the attachment of the self to the human body um, is as the attachment of the passionate lover, Ashik, um, uh, it's natural and inspirational. So there is no reason in that. That's very important. It's natural and inspirational. Um, um, to the beloved, one that does not seize as long as the body is prepared um, for the self to be attached to it. So here is now we've got the, the basic of the workings of uh, of the relationship between the body and the self based on notion of law. So let's move on now to, to Ibn Arabi and the, and the um, um, Al-Futuhad or Meccan opening or Meccan illuminations. And uh, here Ibn Arabi makes a complete, actually, shift. Um, uh, in all the debates that we had before, we had, the, we had the self-equal consciousness. You are self, you are, you are thinking, conscious being. That's what it is. Uh, the, for, for al-Razi, al-Suhrawardi, and all the others that lined up uh, that line with them Ibn Arabi says no the self is the will now that's quite different actually when you remove the, the notion of consciousness and you actually talk about the self as the will then the whole story becomes uh, would actually start to read differently and a, so let's take it let's take the whole idea of love being um, what ties the body Uh, that's all to the body, and see how Ibn Arabi sort of inflict a whole different interpretation of it. So if we look at the way that he looked about the whole idea of the relation between the lover and the beloved, he says that the lover, he he brings the whole idea of one being able to be completely outside himself. Now, with the self and consciousness, you're always aware of yourself, but here you can actually be completely outside yourself. He said, uh, the lover is described as being wholly outside himself, خارج عن نفسه, that's the term that he used, or beyond himself. Uh, know that the self of an individual by whom he is distinguished from most creatures is his will. So it's not his consciousness, is his will. So if he gives up his will uh, to be at the disposal of his beloved, he will go outside himself completely. He will no longer be in charge of the self. If the beloved willed to do something with him and the lover uh, never knew what the beloved wanted from or to do with him, uh, he would hurry to do so or be prepared to receive that. Uh, He would see that preparations or hurriedness as the love's absolute control over him. Um, um, The beloved would see no competition from anything else in getting what he willed to do with or from his lover. Um, who had gone for the sake of the beloved outside himself completely, uh, with the beloved he no longer had a will. Now this is this is interesting because if it's if we take Ibn Arabi's argument and apply it to um, uh, to Arazi's um, analogy, then the whole situation gets inverted. It is if if the beloved if, if the relationship is the, is the passionate love and if the beloved is the body, then the body has total control over the self, which is actually quite logical because that's. That's what the whole mystical experience is about: is to actually to, to to try to liberate the self from the bondage of the body. Uh, because if the body is always in, con- if the self is always in control of the body, as the the, um, the group who, who argued about uh, self consciousness um, um, have it, then you are really you are not at the mercy of your body. Uh, Ibn Arabi actually inf- put a, a, an a kind of a, a reverse on this, uh, arguing that, no, it is if, it is the, if it's the, the, the love relationship, then the body actually is in control. Um, he, he disagreed with those who would... Um, um, who would actually um, uh, think about the, this embodiment of the self. He says that, know that people have differed on what the term man in sound refers to. One group said that it was subtle nature, which is the self, um, and the other group said that it was the body. So there were the two different um, groups at this time. Uh, yet another said it was the combination of both, and that was more proper. So he seemed to have sort of sided um, uh, with, uh, with that. For him... He, he looked at the, uh, at the relationship between the body and the self as the body being the, the necessary dwelling. Uh, for the self. It, the, the, the self has to dwell in that, in that house or in that structure. It, it, it doesn't have a choice, it doesn't stand outside it, but it, it, it is that relationship between that, the dweller and the dwelling that actually um, um, uh, makes the whole relationship work. So it is not, he said, it's not the business of this uh, human subtlety, um, that means the self, to accompany this specific temple. He referred to the word Haker. Uh, But it must preoccupy herself with what she has been obliged to do by the beloved. Now the beloved here is the divine, it is not the body, um, who is the essence of its life and existence while dwelling in whatever house he has required her to dwell in. this is according to those who believe in the non-abstractions of the self. Now, this is quite important because this is uh, this is um, uh, defining his position um, uh, from the natural formation and nesh al That means he, he believed that. Uh, th- th- that kind of understanding is based on the one who do not believe in the abstractions of the self and uh, we do as we do and as we have been shown through divine disclosure so he does not he believe in the embodiment of the self and the self had to dwell in, that, uh, in the human temple or the human uh, body that's been designated to dwell in and then the relationship between the two takes on a whole different um, um, dimensions in his experience now when we move to 16th 17th century oh, sorry 15th 16th century you had a, a whole new dimension to the debate unfolding with the whole idea of particles now this has not really been debated and discussed in uh, in contemporary studies and uh, and because actually the whole idea of particles was part of the uh, of the european thinking of that time and uh, the, the relationship between the body and uh, and the, uh, the soul fusions so here is the self became um, particularly with the work of Ibn uh, uh, Kamal Basha or Kamal Basha Zadeh as luminous particles. And, uh, and he, um, um, he, wrote a, he wrote a treatise, unpublished treatise on the human reality um, in which he actually disagreed. He disagreed with the philosophers and the theologians on the dis- disembodiment of the self and argued for um, its embodiment. So uh, he, uh, for him... Uh, the self, uh, he, he looked at it as uh, um, a bodily particle. He, he talked about Ajzat jismani. I mean, Ajzat could be many things. Uh, I'm here, sort of, um, on a kind of a, uh, a limb out, uh, trying to sort of use it as as particles because there were evidence that they were actually talking about particles. Um, um, he said that the self. Um, as bodily particles, um, fused in the human structure, he used the word Hakel because he was actually uh, commenting on uh, um, Surawadi's way. in a manner similar to the fusions of fire in the coal, the fat in sesame and the rose water in the water. So there is now this, this uh, entire fusion between the, uh, uh, the body um, and the cell. Um, he, he then said, then the Erudat scholars of those, so there must be some, uh, a group of scholars who have been talking about the fusions of the body and the cell, uh, that who held it above view that the, uh, the fusion like the, the fire and the coal and the, and the fat and, and sesame, uh, said that these bodily particles, um, uh, you can call them parts or particles, ajda, which endure from the beginning to the end of one's life, are bodies that are different in reality. Uh, to the, uh, to the uh, in essence, to those bodies um, uh, 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 from which the human structure is composed. This is when actually the utility of the, of the term hekel become useless because he could actually talk about the self and the body in terms of particles because he has another, another concept, which is the hekel to actually use it. So... Um, um, uh, so those bodies are alive. So you refer to about those, um, this, the component of the self, if you like. Um, those bodies are alive by themselves, conscious by themselves, luminous in themselves. Um, and when they, when they combine with the human body, the badan, um, and became infused in the human structure as the fusion of fire and the cold, the body became illuminated by the light of that spirit and movable by the spirit's moving power so he, he now actually uh, talking about the fusion of the two but, but he's now talking a, a little bit more in, uh, uh, in details about the, the, um, the nature of those fusion um, if you examine what we have told you you will realize the, fal- uh, the, the, the falsity of using the degenerations uh, of the body and its particle as, as a basis to argue for um, to argue that beyond this body and its part uh, there is an abstract thing which is man in reality and that it is this reality uh, that everyone refers to when saying I so he he wanted actually to dismiss that view that view actually based on the argument as we said that the body is constantly changing uh, through decay and growth Uh, so you cannot if you say I and the I is consistent whereas the body is constantly changing there must be some disparity in that argument now he when he fused when he fused the self as particles into the particles of the bodies, then he could actually establish an argument that uh, the two are fused together and you cannot distinguish uh, 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 on the basis of the of the change. Um, that that brings us to Aldawani's work because Aldawani's actually talked about the mechanics, um, the endurance of self-consciousness, and the mechanics of change. Um, this is very important. Um, he. He supported Suhrawardi's argument. He said you cannot be... That's commenting on his uh, uh, statement. You cannot be unaware of yourself, never. He adds, even uh, uh, even in, in the states of sleep and unconsciousness. Now, this is most bizarre. I mean, in, in state of sleep, I imagine that, you know, when you dream, you sometimes dream of yourself. So he was saying, okay, well, even in sleep, you are, you are aware of yourself because you, you see yourself in a dream. But in state of unconscious, I've never been unconscious, so I can't tell you um, uh, how it feels when you are unconscious. Um, but he, he goes on um, to um, um, to, argue, to say that this is this is an, an experiential premise. It's a muqaddime So it is not a rational premise. It's an experiential premise. Uh, and then he, he introduced Ibn Sina, who actually says that there, there are people who argue against those. And those who believe that, you know, humans can be unconscious sometimes, this argument won't work with them. So, um, uh, that's the um, uh, his theoretical base, but the most interesting part is when he talks about the mechanics of change. The mechanic of change, and because the body, the body is changing, um, and then the, uh, the the argument that because that is changing, the self is actually consistent and it's dis- uh, and it's abstract. Uh, from the body, uh, they, have to, uh, they have to talk about the quantitative motion because any notion of change is a, a, a motion in itself. Like if you have an increase through growth or decrease through decay, then there is a, a kind of a metaphorical motion. So the alharak uh, al uh, which is the quantitative motion, has to be explained. Now the problem with this is that if the whole body is changing, the question is, how does the quantity of a particular body change through increase and decrease, but without essential change of the body's identity? If the whole body is changing from one instant to another, what actually makes the, the, that, that body or that entity the same from one moment to another? Uh, why didn't actually just completely change become something different? So the, the, um, um, so the question was, in the process of growth and decay was there or is there a set of original particles, uh, original uh, uh, particles that remain consistently the same while other uh, complementary uh, particles change, or are the body particles subject to, all the body particles subject to change. Now this is quite interesting because they, they, they wanted to maintain some kind of sense of identity. So if you argue that there was, a set, there was sets of, Original art, uh, particles that those don't change, but they t- somehow sort of grow, become bigger, and then sort of get smaller again. Then you you have maintained you have maintained a sense of consistent. So some consistency in the body so that undermines the whole argument about the body changing and itself is consistent um, so, so Al-Sahrawadi had to do away with this and al-Dawani, actually Al-Dawani does not explain it. it's Al-Dawani who explains it um, he, he talks about uh, uh, that, that Al-Sahrawadi negated that there is no quantitative motion as, uh, as such um, but he talked about Um, So so he negated the the applicability of of quantitative motions and maintained instead uh, instead that growth and decay were in reality essential movement. I haven't really dug deep into this particular term um, 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 but he... um, um, I'll get back to it. um, Through either external particles penetrating into the body or the original particle disbanding. So... there's the spatial or, or the um, um, essential mo- motion here refers to, let's say if you've got a particular body that has certain particles um, if, if, if those particles start to disband and then you have external particles coming into it or um, um, internal particle coming in, then, then the body sort of grows. But you've got you've got a kind of an, an original entity that uh, that remains uh, that remains the same. So through external particle penetrating into the body, or the original particle disbanding in order to enable external particle to interpenetrate amongst them, as in the case of, uh, of growth. Now this again actually created a problem because again you are forced to to to. Um, to hold that that original sets of entity or particles, they are constant. And they wanted that to remain constantly changing. So, uh, so they came up with, uh, with the idea, as, uh, here, Dawani explaining as Sahrawardi, saying that, um, no, it isn't that way. It is, he, he brings the idea of intifash in Arabic. Intifash means like a swelling up or puffing up. Uh, so you've got, uh, like, a, like a piece of cotton, that's the analogy he used if you had a piece of cotton and you sort of puff it up uh, in terms of particles in terms of the the substance of that they they remain constant but you had in between them subtle particles now I don't know what the subtle particle is but that's what he was saying is that there is subtle particles they are not they are not um, um, they're not external they're not something else that's coming to the body it's those subtle particles that infuse it so uh, infuses the uh, the body, and so the, the body swells up or grow, or they those that get, get re, um, uh, expelled and then they sort of um, get condensed. So they th- that's how they argued that notion of growth and uh, um, um, and decay in order to maintain that the body constantly changing uh, while the self um, uh, remain um, um, abstract. Okay, now that brings us to another interesting work and another interesting concept which is exactly related to those kind of changes, which is the idea of al-amsal. Uh, that perpetual renewal was actually relevant also to Ibn Arabis. Here we have the self as a recurrence in the likes. Uh, al-amsal means the likes. Now, the, the, once you actually have the body changing, the body particle changing, or the, the body constantly changing, then from one moment... To another, you are no longer the same person. Um, in theory, you are different uh, body-wise. Okay, so you are you are a different but similar person. So there are from one moment to another, um, there is a constant change, with, uh, um, but there is some continuity of the like. So you, you remain. More or less the same, but not exactly. Uh, so that's the idea of Al-Amsal. It was very important because that actually, if you are different, then how is, your bo- how is yourself related to those different uh, um, uh, changes? Uh, that takes us to the uh, Shirazi, um, uh, 16th uh, 17th century thinker uh, from the same school of, uh, um, of al razi who, um, who also maintained and argued strongly for the disembodiment of the cell, but he was trying to actually um, uh, explain that idea of recurrence. So c- constant bodily, ch- uh, uh, bodily change uh, through growth and decay mean that the two successive moments in two successive moments a living uh, body appears similar but never identical. Um, the concept of the likes al-amsal is introduced to explain how the entity remains throughout its lifetime at once the same and different. So the sameness comes from its attachment to the self but it is different from um, one state uh, to the other. Um, So he writes, every body uh, or every bodily substance has a transforming, renewing nature. It also has a continuous subsistence, permanent core, whose relationship or relation to to the substance is as the relation of the spirit to the body. The human spirit because of its abstraction is enduring. While the nature of the body uh, is always in flux, decaying and transforming, these cause co- uh, these cause constant renewal of the subsist- subsisting self by the continuous recurrence of the likes. Wurud um, al al Now, this is really really interesting. Um, the continuous recurrence of the likes, um, which means that that there is a continuous um, um, kind of recreations of the... Uh, which is similar to what Ibn Arabiz actually talks about when he talks about the, uh, um, the, um, um, the continuous uh, uh, recreation through breathing, uh, through uh, the inhaling, uh, exhaling of the, of the divine breath, and that's the, that's the renewal of the creations, and that's basically the notion of al amsal This is the diagram by Ibn Arabiz in his Fatuhat, which shows the notion of al-amsa. In the, in the central line, uh, in the central line you have the, uh, the universal man uh, on the top, say, uh, Al-Insan kamil, and then Al-Amsal. Now Al-Amsal he takes another dimensions in Ibn Arabi's work because Al-Amsal is dissimilar to the notion of recurrence but it is now, it is a recurrence in the, in the image of the universal man and then all other creatures are actually in the likeness of aspect of, of Al-Amsal uh, some Um, uh, in accordance with the body, others in accordance with the spirit. So when God brought man into existence, he formed him straight and gave him compassion. So he was able to unlock the mysteries of the creations, the upper and the lower. Uh, He extended the likes, um, al-amsal, from his self and made the done likes... In his likeness this is the non life are basically the, the bodies and the spirits in his likeness and the likeness of one aspect of the bodies appeared and in the likeness of another aspect the spirits appeared they were to him as the left and right hander so this is where the notion of al Amsal became really kind of the central in relation to all other um, uh, creation uh, so if if but if Ibn Arabi believes in the, cha- in, the, uh, in, the, um, in the bond between the body and the, and, the, uh, and the self, that if the body is changing, the self must be changing. Uh, now, how do we explain that? So if, uh, uh, if the self is not seen as being an abstract, enduring entity uh, detached from the body, then the likes um, would have to include both the self and the body, which means that just as the body, uh, is changing. So is the self. Now, this brings us to, uh, to Abdel Ghani Nabulusi. And uh, this is where his work became very interesting because he, he tried to explain how the self changes with the changing of the body. Uh, he's the only one who actually, at that time, who took, which it seems that after Kemal Bashazadeh uh, and Nabulsi who wrote an extended commentary on his work, they, the Muslim thinking at the time um, were going actually in the other direction, as if, you know, we've, we've had it all, we've seen it all, we, we, we know it, and uh, um, that was referenced to the Cartesian debate, uh, uh, that they, they, they went beyond it, where the European were actually going along the earlier debates that the Muslim had uh, uh, um, centuries before. Um, so here the self now became, not the will, not the consciousness, became a trace of God power. Um, so uh, Nabulsi uh, tried to explain uh, the relationship between the human self and the divine self he established this relationship between the two as being one is the negation of the other you cannot really have both together at the same time um, he said when, uh, when man considers a door or a box uh, that is made out of wood for example he overlooks the woodness and when he considers the woodness he overlooks the door and the box completely considering both at, the same, uh, uh, at once um, detract from considering each alone profoundly. So he was saying that, uh, in other words, that there, you cannot really have both together. You have you, you have to uh, be either aware of one or aware of the other. So um, so this is an extended quote from uh, from his unpublished text called Miftah al Futuh, which actually a commentary on Kamal Bashazadeh. Uh, God most High, uh, most High said, "Remember your Lord when you have forgotten." That's from the Quran. Some eminent scholars of the Muslim community who had scrutinized the secrets of the great Quran said, that means completed, that, that say, when you have forgotten yourself, um, they pointed to the fact that man, in so far as he is a divine spirit, is uh, as already mentioned, may, f- may forget his self and become unaware of it completely. Now, this is where it, he actually um, went completely the other directions of As-Sahrawardi, even though they both were mystics. Uh, completely. Uh, uh, um, the reason for this is his remembrance. Now, he brings the notion of remembrance um, uh, and notion of self-effacement and the way that the two um, relate together. The reason for this is his remembrance of his Lord in his self. Um, as God Most High said, remember your Lord in yourself. Uh, meaning that, his self is the appearance of his Lord unto him, uh, because his, his self is one of the many um, effects of God's power. So, um, so when, when God appears unto him by revealing his effects, man becomes aware of his Lord, realizing the error of those who says that his self endured from the beginning to the end of his life unchanged. So he's now saying that, no, the self is actually changed. But he now explaining how that changed. Um, He would also understand the way in which his self endures through the likes. So now the self is enduring through the likes, which are sort of the recurrence of the same. Um, And it follows from remembering his Lord that he forgets his self. So when he remembers his Lord, he forgets uh, uh, his self, since the self is none other than the effects of of the Lord's power. Um, So at the moment of remembrance... He loses awareness of his self completely. But if his self appears to him, um, not as an effect of his Lord power, but as his self, he would then have remembered his self and forgotten his Lord. So there is no way that you can actually bring the two together. In fact, he would have also forgotten himself. uh, As God said, uh, they they forget God, so he made them forget themselves. In any case, man's self remains an effect of his Lord's power, although it can be considered um, in two respects, in respect of being man's self and in respect of being an effect of his Lord's power. These two considerations contrast one another. They cannot be united from one perspective. Uh, When one is is recalled, the other is forgotten. Um, Thus, when considering his self, man is reminded Remember your Lord when you have forgotten. That is, when you have forgotten the otherness you are considering when considering yourself. He is also reminded and remember your Lord in yourself. That is, when you consider yourself so that the other aspect might be revealed to you. and The aspect that, that shows yourself being an effect of your Lord's power. Um, and he, he concludes this this way: you would know yourself, and you would know your Lord. As it was said, whosoever knows himself, knows his Lord. Now I've got to return back to Hay Ben Yazan as a conclusion, and I'm sorry for that, but just bear with me a second; it won't be long. Um, Hay, in later in later aspect of his life. Uh, he started to, um, to be um, because he started as a thinking conscious being and wanting to, uh, to, to uh, in a self-directed way to find himself or to understand himself. Uh, his uh, in later days he started to reflect about his experience. Uh, during his intense reflection, this is, this is later on in the, in the narrative um, um, during, uh, during his intense reflections he often used to forget um, to forget the essences, um, that is the uh, word, the word here, singular of, of that, of all things except his own, because he was self-conscious. When he would start meditating on it, he he, he, he forgot everything except his uh, 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 his self. Even when he was fully uh, absorbed in witnessing the first being, the real necessary being. This used to disturb him. Now, this is interesting. This used to disturb him. Later on, early on it was fine. Later on it, was, it became disturbing. So, yet he persisted. He wanted. He persisted seeking his self-annihilation. So, at the end of the philosophical, we're talking about the end of the philosophical experience, he, he, pers- he persisted seeking his self-annihilation until he attained it. And from this moment, Um, And and from his memory and thought disappeared heaven and earth and all that is in between and all spiritual forms and and bodily faculties and all non-embodied entities which are the essences that know being. His self that disappeared along with all other selves and the whole faded away and vanished and became scattered nothingness. Uh, Nothing remained except the real one, the immutable being. Um, when when he vanished beyond his self, uh, and beyond all other th- other selves, and could not see in existence except um, um, except the standing the standing one, and saw that and so what he had seen, and then returned after after he sort of, kind of be, went beyond his annihilated and returned uh, to recognizing otherness. When he woke up from the state, which was similar to intoxications, it occurred to him. Now, this is really important. He was thinking first, right, until he reached that stage. When he returned after that experience, it occurred to him. And the word that used, khatara and I will use, I want to return to the idea of khawatir in my seminar. It occurred to him. He didn't say that he thought, it occurred to him um, that he has no self. Uh, whereby he is other than the real self. And and that, the reality of his self is that, uh, the reality of his self is the divine self. And that thing, if you remember, we started with that thing, that thing which he first thought to be other than the real self is in reality nothing. For nothing at all is except the real self. Thank you.